Thanks for tuning in. Ham Talk Live will be on the air shortly. Please stand by. Thanks for tuning in. Ham Talk Live will be on the air shortly. Please stand by. This episode of Ham Talk Live is brought to you by Tower Electronics. For connectors, cables, and more, call 920-435-2973 or visit pl-259.com. And by the Ham Station. Get your new radio or antenna by calling 800-729-4373 or go to hamstation.com. It's Ham Radio. Good evening, everyone. This is Ham Talk Live, episode number 20. Canine Search and Rescue with AJ Ragusa, KC9 EVU, recorded live on Thursday, June 30th, 2016. I'm your host, Neil Rapp, WB9VPG, and thanks for tuning in to this episode of Ham Talk Live. Now, if you're tuning in thinking that Valerie Hotzfeld in B9L is going to be here, well, she was supposed to be here, but Unfortunately, she came down with a migraine uh, late this afternoon and uh, just was not uh, up to uh, to, to uh, being up, let alone on the show. So we're going to reschedule Valerie. She was going to talk about um, some of her log analysis talk over at uh, Contest University and how to work some of those de-expeditions. So we'll get her uh, rescheduled just as soon as we can and... Um, Hope and pray that she is uh, feeling better soon. Um, so fortunately, over field day, um, we finally got arrangements made for a backup, and so I didn't think I was going to be calling AJ up uh, to uh, step in quite this quickly, but uh, tonight, AJ Ragusa, KC9 EVU, is here to talk about a very special group that's trained in search and rescue using dogs and how they use ham radio to communicate. So we'll take your calls live in just a few minutes and talk to him. Last week on the show, uh, Sean Kutzko, KX9X from ARRL, was here to talk about field day. And if you missed that, you can listen anytime at hamtalklive.com or on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, SoundCloud, or YouTube. So get your MCOM questions and your search and rescue questions and, and your dog questions ready to go. And after the interview, you can call us on Skype at the username HamTalkLive, or you can call us on the old telephone. It's 812-NET-HAM-1, 812-638-4261. And uh, you can also tweet a question. Our Twitter handle is at HamTalkLive. So next, AJ Ragusa, KC9 EVU, right after this word from the ham station, right here on Ham Talk Live. <laughs> 
This episode of Ham Talk Live is brought to you by The Ham Station. For 35 years, The Ham Station has brought new and used radios, antennas, accessories, and equipment to the amateur radio community. Give Jeff or Dan a call at 1-800-729-4373 or order online at hamstation.com. Hamstation carries all the major brands like Icom, Yaesu, and Kenwood. Shop from a wide selection of radio scanners, MFJ accessories, Heil Sound products, Mirage and Ameritron amplifiers, Cushcraft antennas, and more. Easy online shopping and fast shipping are waiting for you at hamstation.com or call 1-800-729-4373. The Ham Station, proud to sponsor this episode of Ham Talk Live. The early bird may get the worm, but the second mouse gets the cheese. You're listening to Ham Talk Live with Neil Rapp. Welcome back to Ham Talk Live. The ham station has you covered for both new and used equipment. Give Dan or Jeff a call at 800-729-4373 or go to hamstation.com. Be sure to listen the show every Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Time right here on HamTalkLive.com. Also check out our Facebook page and Twitter feed. Just search HamTalkLive. A.J. Ragusa, KC9EVU, lives right here in Bloomington, Indiana, where he works in computing for Indiana University. After graduating from there, A.J. is the Monroe County, Indiana Racies Officer and the Assistant Aries Emergency Coordinator. Uh, he uses his computing abilities in ham radio using digital modes, including IRLP, Echolink, and APRS. AJ is a member of Argus, which is a canine search and rescue team here in Monroe County, and he has trained his dog, Sasha, to search for lost people. Argus uses ham radio to communicate during search and rescue events and training exercises. So if you haven't heard of this mode of MCOM, tonight is your chance to learn a little bit about it. So, AJ, thank you so much for stepping in and being on Ham Talk Live tonight. No problem, Neil. Thanks for having me. Well, we had talked about having you on, on the show, and we thought, well, that'd be, make a great backup, and, and here we are not even a week from when we talked about it and, and finalized everything. Uh, but tell everybody a little bit about uh, the purpose of having a canine search and rescue team and tell everybody a little bit about what that team does. So, I mean, really, a, a canine search and rescue team is just a search and rescue team. We happen to have some additional tools, which are the canines themselves. So, you know, what's the purpose of a search and rescue team? I, I mean, that's kind of obvious, right? Our goal is to go find lost people. Um, and one of the things, one of the things, you know, we're very clear about for anybody who's joining or wants to use us, we only search for people who potentially want to be found. So we're not going to go out searching for somebody who robbed a bank or in some criminal situation like that. That's for the police. What we do is, um, especially Argus, we are mostly a wilderness search and rescue team. We have some other resources too, such as um, disaster or even urban search and rescue, but we're, we're, we mostly focus on wilderness. So I'll, I'll touch on some of those in, in a little bit. But basically the idea is that, you know, if you get lost and you 
are wanting to be found, i.e. you haven't robbed the bank and have millions of dollars that you're trying to get away with, <laughs> then then we will come and start looking for you. And we have a variety of skills that help us do that. And and with those skills, we have different resources. Or I, I like to call them tools in the tool belt. So um, canines are one of those tools. And one of the reasons that we use canines is that sometimes, for example, there might be a hunter who's lost. Well, he's wearing maybe he's wearing all camo because he was hunting. That could be very hard to spot, especially if you're searching at night. The dog's nose isn't going to be fooled by the fact that they're they're wearing camo. Um, and even when they have all of those scent blockers and all those other things, they they usually don't work all that well. And so the dog's nose is very good. And so that's so that's why we we're using these dogs is they are they are an additional tool. They I mean obviously there's a team involved, right? But the dog is basically a a multiplier for for us. It's a, a force multiplier. We can search a lot more area a lot quicker with a dog than with a bunch of humans. And so that's the reason we're using them. Okay, now you use the example of maybe a, a hunter is lost. Would this be a response to to like an amber alert or a silver alert or something like that? Potentially. Um, it depends on the situation and um, so, you know, there have been, there are teams that get called out for Amber Alerts. Um, in Indiana, we have Silver Alerts as well, which are um, senior citizens who maybe have um, dementia or Alzheimer's or something um, and have wandered off. And so, so it can be, it can be in those situations. Um, one of the things for our team, for example, we will only re- um, be called out by an agency with jurisdiction. In Indiana, most of the time that means the sheriff's department. Um, but basically, any police, any any police officers, sheriff's departments, volunteer firefighters, um, it, where we are in Bloomington, we have the the National Forest Service. So um, Hoosier National Forest could call us out, or Department of National or Indiana Department of Natural Resources. So so those are those are the agencies who would call us out um, and. So, so yes, potentially an Amber Alert could be one of those reasons for us getting called out. So it's kind of like uh, with races that, you know, you don't just hear about something and go out and do it. You you have to be requested by the appropriate service before you activate. Yes, uh, we, it would, we, we call it self-deploying and we don't self, uh, most teams do not self-deploy. They, they will wait to be called out by a agency with jurisdiction and there's a few reasons for that you don't know if there's criminal activity involved so you know in case of an amber alert there could be an abduction um and so you don't want to start trampling over clues that they might need at some point in time um but you know also those they're the guys who are going to do some of the initial research and kind of give us our areas to actually start searching in which is an important aspect of search and rescue now, while we're on the top, I know it's a little off topic, but you you also deal in MCOM in in uh, races and and Aries and and that kind of thing. Um, so while we brought it up, let let's talk just a little bit about why you don't want to self deploy in any kind of a, a ham radio situation. 
Well, I mean, first off, you don't want to get in the way. <laughs> I think that's that's probably, you know, the biggest rule in MCOM is you, you don't want to get in the way, and you but you want to provide a service that they're looking for. They're going to tell you what they want, and that's what you want to provide. You don't want to, you, you don't want to start essentially taking over, or at least that's what it'll appear like to them. So in my opinion, you want to just hang back and wait for them to request your help. You want them to know you're out there. So like with MCOM, making sure that, you know, as a races coordinator, I make sure that Jim Cummerford, our EMA director in Monroe County, and I have a good working relationship. Like you said, I'm the Aries emergency. I'm, I'm the assistant Aries emergency coordinator with uh, our Aries emergency coordinator. So, you know, we try and work very closely together. So that way we know how to, we, we know what each other's capabilities are. We know how to, to basically operate together. And so that's one of the big important training things I think here is, you know, you want to provide the services that they are and that they want, and you don't want to just show up because they're not ready for you. you yeah. And a lot of these bigger disasters, I think what happens is a lot of people will will show up and say, you know, I can do this, I can do that. They will self-deploy rather than let them know they show up and they're not ready for that yet. They haven't organized everything and, and, and figured out, you know, where things are and, and they're just not ready for that yet. And you're just going to slow things down by doing that. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, right, having people, having volunteers, if you have a lot of volunteers showing up, that is a lot of additional resources that you have to deploy, right? Because all of a sudden now that you need some way to get them food and water, maybe you need to get them, maybe, maybe uh, you know, you'll need 50 porta johns by the time uh, you get all the volunteers there. That kind of, and, and so, you know, they need, they need a chance to prep for people to show up. So, you, you know, that's why you don't want to show up early because that's just going to annoy them. I think um, you want to, you want them to say, this is what we're looking for. And if you're a resource that fits that capability, then you want to show up. And that's that's the exact idea with that. Or that's a, the exact protocol that we, we use, at least in my team, which is, you know, if we get a call, we, we basically go through a, a few checks. You know, does this person reasonably want to be found? Um, and what type of resources are you looking for? Right. If you're looking for um, a certain type of dog that we don't have, then, you know, we'll let you know. We don't have that, but we have this. You know, here here's what we here's what we're capable of. And then if you want us, you just tell us and here's our ETA and here's what we can show up with. Okay, so we've talked a little about the, the search and rescue, the canines and the ham radio. So how does all of that tie together? How do the canine search and rescue teams utilize ham radio to carry out that role well you know let me start off with a, a quick story so um th- when i first joined argus um i was we call them ground pounders i was just a ground pounder which means i was one of the guys who went off in the woods to go search for the subject the missing person you were um, the guinea pig <laughs> well there were a few times i was also the lost person for them to we, we purposely would hide somebody so you know you're purposely the lost person to be found but um so i remember we were doing this it was um we do th- so we do these mocks as trainings and we do a big mock 
Um, with Indiana University, there's a class that we have. We usually get somewhere between 20 and 30 students, and we put on this really large mock, and we teach the students all of these skills required for being a search team person, basically a ground pounder. And um, my role was as, we call them either a safety or an angel, basically to make sure that, you know, if the team gets lost, they're not really lost. If something happens, there's somebody with some experience out in the woods to help them through whatever the situation is um, and make sure that they don't do something that might injure them. <laughs> they might injure themselves with, right? So, so that's part of the reason we're there. The other reason is that in Argus, basically everybody is a ham radio operator. And if you've ever been out to Hoosier National Forest, um, you go, you drive for about 10 minutes, and all of a sudden you have, no longer have cell phone service when you're driving out there. But we drive out about 40 minutes into the forest, so there's really no cell phone service. So um, we deploy a lot of um, ham radio equipment, so that way we can communicate with our teams out in the field. So on this um, mock search that we were doing... Um, I was basically the furthest team away from the net control station. And not only that, but we were on the other side of a ridge. And there were a whole bunch of ridges in between us and the, uh, the station. So it turned out there were four teams deployed, plus then there's net control. And all four teams had ham radio operators. Our missions were essentially we were going in parallel paths along these four ridges, um, the issue was that I couldn't, only one of the teams could actually talk directly to net control because we don't have a repeater out there. This is in the middle of, of Hoosier National Forest. There's no power. There's, there's nothing. And we've, we've done the best we can. We've got, you know, basically we've got a portable um, push-up pole uh, that gets us about 40 feet up in the air with a really nice 2-meter vertical antenna, 50 watts of power. But that doesn't help you when you're in the middle of Hoosier National Forest, on the other side of a ridge, in the middle of, I don't remember when it was, but there was a lot of vegetation and water in there. So that just limited our signal. What ended up happening was the team next to me could hear me, the team next to them could hear them, and the team next to them could hear them, and then that team could hear net control. So one of the coolest things I'd ever experienced, all four of the crews are hiking through the woods. We're not on trails. We are backcountry, like hiking along a ridge, searching for stuff. And we're able to pretty much flawlessly pass traffic without, you know, we're not stopping to write it down. We're not doing anything, but it's going four hops to net control and then four hops back. I, I was, that was the most impressive thing I think I'd ever experienced because I'd done a bunch of the MCOM training, and but to actually see it in use in, in real time, to be able to, to know exactly what's happening, because you can hear you could hear you know the the calling for the other crew, and then the other crew. I mean, it was just to me, it was one of the coolest experiences to 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 go through that and to be with this other with other guys who could basically while hiking, you know backcountry in the woods, day two of sleeping outside at night, you know, and being able to still do this with their radios. It was, it was an impressive event. And that's exactly the point of using our radios. We're out in the, the backcountry where there isn't a lot of cell phone service. 
Um, we had a search just this week, actually, and I showed up, <laughs> looked at my cell phone, and sure enough, I didn't have anything. So what did we use? We used ham radio. Very good. And, um, you know, no repeater coverage a lot of times, too. So that just emphasizes the point of practicing relays, practicing uh, being on simplex and, and relaying information uh, down the path, just exactly as you explained, uh, to get it back to where it needs to go. So that that is pretty uh, pretty impressive. So you've talked about some of this training. Uh, let, let's let's um, mention some of the training uh, for the dogs, actually, because you've actually gotten involved in that now. Uh, you've got a dog, uh, Sasha, and and Sasha went through uh, some of that training. So talk about the training for the humans as well as, as the dogs. Well, let's start with the humans, because um, that's stuff that people be relatively familiar with. Um you know, and let me also prefix this with every search team does it differently. So what Argus does doesn't mean that this is the same for what, you know, your local search team is going to do. Um, now, there are some national standards, and that is what Argus tries to go by. So um, so l- let me talk about that first. So there's this organization called NASAR, which is kind of like the ARRL of search and rescue for the United States. NASAR stands for National Association for Search and Rescue, and they have um, a credentialing standard, which, funny, is has basically three levels to it. Um, it's called the SARTEC, and so there's SARTEC 3, 2, and 1. So if you're a SARTEC 3, you basically have some basic search awareness. SARTEC 2 is essentially field-ready, and SARTEC 1 is like advanced like so it's kind of like an extra class license right um now you know those may or may not be required by your state or by your team or whatever it is but they do exist and that so that's one of the things that um argus works towards so i have a sartec 2 certification for myself um and with that is some things like i know how to use a grid reader and a topographical map so um, I can basically show you where I am and without a GPS, I can give you coordinates within about a 10 kilometer, uh, a 10, sorry, a 10 meter area. <laughs> um, the, there, so basically there are these squares set up in, um, one kilometer dimensions. And then inside of there, they have 10, they have, um, 10 meter lines. And so you can use that to basically give somebody a, position within about 10 meters um so, so it's kind of like the old grid square thing it it, it is the grid square thing yeah so they well if you're talking the ham radio grid square yeah kind of like that um so with so, more yes, precision with more precision yeah so the idea is that without a gps or anything like that i can give you a coordinate and you can go and find the same item that i found because it's that close um Obviously, we have some GPS training. I use a GPS all the time because, well, it makes life easier. Um, but, you know, the idea is we don't have to rely on it. Um, we also have some basic search skills. So there, so with that, there are there's a test. I want to say it's 120-question test. Um, and so you have, you have to complete this 120-question test. 
There's actually a course called FunSAR, which is what we do this big mock for, which prepares you to take your SAR Tech 2. So if you pass a FunSAR course, you should be relatively well prepared to take the, the SAR Tech 2 exam. Um, and so then there's some rope skills, like being able to tie an improvised harness, um, being able to tie a, a, an array of different types of knots. Um, there's navigation. There's... Uh, and then there's these search skills. Um, so basically, they, har- they hide playing cards out in the woods, and you have to go and find them. Uh, well, but you have to walk in a certain area to find them, and you have to find, I think it's like seven out of ten cards. And I know it sounds really easy, but it's really not. <laughs> it's actually kind of difficult. So, um, so, so that's what's involved for the humans. Also, along with that, you know, there's first aid, CPR, some of the basic first responder types of skills that you need. Okay, and so then tell us about Sasha. Yeah, so so there, there's um, a, an array of different types of dogs, um, and I'll say you know any dog is capable of being trained to do this. Now it takes the right type of dog with the right type of drive, and I'll talk about drive in a second to actually to to be good at it. Um, so, so let me start with the types of dogs. Sasha, my dog, is what we call an area or wilderness area dog. She is not scent specific. Her job is to find any human in the area. So basically, if, if you're lost and we have no idea where you are, we have no real um, direction of travel, we call it, or a place last seen or anything like that, but we have a relatively good idea that you are in some area. That is when we will use a dog like Sasha. And her job is to go and, and basically search this whole big area and tell me, the handler, that she's found them. So that's, that's her job. And um, so that, that's what we call an area dog. Then we have um, tracking trailing dogs. These are the types of dogs that prob- most people probably think of. Um, these are dogs that are trained to... Basically, follow a scent trail. So, if you have, let's say, let's say that you were out and you got lost and you accidentally left a glove behind, we would use that glove as the scent article, and the dog is going to follow that that individual scent trail to the subject. Um, so, and it's it's usually fairly close to the actual path traversed. I mean, depending on wind and other conditions like that, it can go several, you know, even 100 feet off. But generally, we want them following as close as possible to the trail. Um, Then we have another type of dog, um, which is human remains detection. Um, This is obviously looking for somebody who's been deceased. Um, And so, you know, maybe day two or three of a search is when you start, we'll we'll start using um, this type of dog. And obviously their goal is to find, you know, a deceased person. Um, And then there's also a disaster dog. And these disaster dogs are um, what you think of for essentially FEMA. They are collapsed collapsed structures. These are the types of dogs that were used during 9-11. Um, 
So, so they're, they're basically trained to be able to safely navigate rubble piles and locate buried subjects who are still alive in the rubble piles. So those are the four types of dogs. And as you can imagine, the training for those types of dogs can vary quite a bit. Um, there's a few key aspects, though, that, you, that we kind of are looking at, though. Um, first is drive. And drive is, if you've ever seen um, a lab who just will not stop bringing you the ball, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for a dog who will do anything to play the, with the ball with you. Um, you can throw the ball into a big field, and the dog will spend 30 minutes until it, tr- until it actually finds that ball and come back and say, throw it again. So, so we're looking for we're looking for what we call drive. So, in my case, Sasha's drive is very much food based. If you want a backflip, you just hold food up long enough, <laughs> and eventually she's going to do a backflip for you. Um, and so, so we used food to for Sasha. So, when she finds a subject at practice, she gets a treat, and usually I make them really, really good treats. Treats that we only get at practice, because otherwise, if she gets it every day, then it's not quite the same. Um, And it's the same way for the other dogs. Um, So a lot of dogs that people use today are either German Shepherds, Malinois, um, Labs. And and these dogs are very much into um, what we call tugging. They want to tug. They've got these tug toys, and basically you hold this tug toy and... You know, even these little tiny dogs can pull me around, and it's uh, it's very it's very cool, and it's um it can be very intense. Um, so so basically, we're using this drive though to get them to do what we want, and so we'll start. So so let's take the area dog, um, like Sasha, really quick. We start off with very simple games, right? We teach come, so that way every time I say come, Sasha comes right to me and sits right in front of me. That's what we teach. And then we start turning it into a, a little game of, let's say, come back and forth, where I will, she'll come to me, she'll come to somebody else, she comes back to me, she gets a treat. So that's, that's kind of the process. And then eventually we, may, we start taking out the commands, and we just say, so then it starts off with just go find. And then there's a person just standing out in the field, she goes to that person, comes back to me, does her what we call alert, and then she gets her reward. Um, and so we kind of build this process until it becomes, you know, 30 minutes. Uh, the person's been hidden for 30 minutes out in a 20-acre field, and now Sasha has to go find them, and it takes, you know, 30 minutes for her to actually find the person. So that's that's how we kind of grow it. And then there's this last part, which I kind of mentioned, which is the alert. And this is probably the most critical part to the dog training. Dogs will naturally be able to find anything in the woods, right? If, if if, If they know that they're going to get their reward, they will very easily find, you know, a human or a deer or a, a duck. The, the training for is basically it's hunt. We want them to hunt for the person. That just comes basically naturally to the dogs. But the part that doesn't is what we call the alert. And that this is the most probably critical part in their training, which is 
to get the dog to do some behavior that indicates that they have found the person. And there's a whole lot of different alerts involved. Um, so, for example, with area dogs, um, there, there are two big ones that I know about. Um, the refine, which is what Sasha does. So when she finds the subject, she runs back to me, barks at me, and then when I say, show me, she, ta- she runs back to the subject and barks at them. Um, another type is called a bark and hold, and this is exactly like it sounds. Basically, when the dog finds the subject, they sit there and bark at them. And even if the human keeps moving, the dog just keeps following and barking at them, and the bark basically brings the rest of the team in. Um, now, for other types of dogs, let's say um, HRD or a tracking trailing dog, the alert could be something else, such as sitting down, um, laying down, uh, could be a bark, um, could even be a touch. So any number of things uh, can be the alert for, for any of these dogs. But it's really critical to have that alert be a very consistent and well-done thing. That, I, I think that a lot, of, a lot of time needs to be spent in training that alert and getting that alert to be just so natural that the dog doesn't even think about it. That's 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 really great. I, I'm I'm really impressed with uh, with all that you've uh, been able to do with that. And um, right now it's time for us to pay some of the bills. Uh, but we're going to come back and uh, talk a little more with AJ and take your calls right after this message from Tower Electronics right here on Ham Talk Live. This episode of Ham Talk Live is brought to you by Tower Electronics. Tower Electronics has been the Ham's dime store since 1978, bringing connectors, antennas, cables, and other parts to the world. Scott and Jill travel the country bringing their store to you at HamFest, but you can also order online at pl-259.com or by calling 920-435-2973. Stock up on those supplies like PL259 and end connectors, audio cables, mobile antennas, and hamsticks. Their silver-plated end connectors are even in use on the International Space Station. Tower Electronics is a dealer for MFJ, Comet, Daiwa, OPEC, Workman, and HamPro Technologies. Tower Electronics, online at pl-259.com, proud to sponsor this episode of Ham Talk Live. Join the conversation. Call us on voice with Skype at Ham Talk Live or give us a call at 812-NET-HAM-1. That's 812-638-4261. Now, here's more Ham Talk Live. We'd like to thank Scott and Jill at Tower Electronics for sponsoring the show tonight and every night so we can bring you Ham Talk Live. Call 920-435-2973. Or you can visit their website at pl-259.com. And uh, be sure to listen every Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Time right here on hamtalklive.com. And if you miss the show, you can download the podcast from the website and most popular podcasting websites. So you've heard a little bit about the uh, search and rescue and the MCOM stuff uh, and the canines. So it's now time for your call. So if you have a question that you want to ask AJ about any of this uh, stuff we've been talking about tonight, give us an audio call on Skype. It's Ham Talk Live is the username. 
Um, or you can call us by telephone. It's 812-NET-HAM-1. 812-NET-HAM-1. 812-638-4261. And uh, ask a question about some of the training that uh, um, Argus is involved in and some of these um, um, search and rescue teams. And uh, before I forget, uh, um, AJ, can you give us uh, the uh, web addresses of... Uh, some places that if people want to uh, get some more information about some of these national organizations as, as well as uh, local ones, uh, can you give us those web addresses real quick? Yeah, so um, NASAR is the big one. So that is uh, National Association for Search and Rescue, and they are nasar.org. That's nasar.org, nasar.org. Um, and Really, that that is probably the best place to go and find um, local search teams. Um, now, granted, you can probably Google and find you know a search team in your area. Um, for example, Argus is um, Argus A R G U S K nine dot org. Um, so you can go check out our website there. Sasha's pictures up there along with mine. Um, and you can also find Argus on Facebook. So go ahead and like us on Facebook if you want. And uh, I try and post regular pictures and updates on the team. And you can see, you know, when the dogs are, even though it's been, you know, 95 with, you know, 100% relative humidity, we, we're still out practicing because you never know when you're going to get called to a search. Yeah, always be prepared. And that, that's a, a good thing. So thanks for those uh links um and um if you're interested in um more about this uh search and rescue team thing why well, uh check those out now um one of the things that I wanted to ask is you know if someone does not have a dog um and just wants to get involved in search and rescue uh what are some ways that people can volunteer to help the search and rescue teams uh, either in training or in a, a real event? Well, um, so obviously, if you know, like I said, ground pounders are just as important as the canine handlers. Without the ground pounders, the, the canine handlers are, are a lot less effective. Um, and, and I call them ground pounders lovingly because I, what I always say is everybody – who who gets deployed on a search is a ground pounder first. If, even if I get called to a search and they don't need a live find uh, a live find area dog like Sasha, I am then a, just a ground pounder. And you know, truthfully, I love just walking through the woods. And uh, so so you know, if if you like um, that kind of stuff, then you can become just a ground pounder. You don't need a dog. Um, you can. Find a NASAR class near you. Um, so the FUNSAR class is, um, in my experience, the, the NASAR class that I help with here in Bloomington is a lot of fun. I met a lot of friends through it. It's just a great class in general. Um, and even if you don't, even if you're not interested in search and rescue, but you like the outdoors, it's still a fun class. You get to sleep outside. You get to go hike through the woods during the day, at night some stuff that you might not normally do. So it's a lot of fun. Um, and if you like to go play hide and seek. And if you like, you know, we, when we do practice, we say that search and rescue is really just hide and seek for adults. 
That's and it's the best way to describe it because literally we say, okay, I want you to go in this area and don't tell me where you are because the dog is going to go find you. Um, and so one of the things that, it, so if you, let's say that you don't have time or you don't want to be called out to an actual search, um, that's fine. Especially for canine teams, one of the things that they always need um, is people to volunteer to be their lost subjects. Now, that doesn't mean go get lost and call the search and rescue team and say, I'm a lost subject. That means contact your local search and rescue team, say, I'd like to come out and be a lost subject for you, and then they will assist you in getting lost. <laughs> yeah, so don't go out there and just self-deploy getting lost. Yes, we will. We will specific because all the when when the dogs are at different levels in their training, we want different things. We, like you know, so a young dog isn't going to go search a thirty acre field. A young dog is going to search a really small field, um, to you know get that experience and to get the whole alert and all that kind of stuff down. So you know the team is going to have very specific requests of you. Um, but they should teach you everything you need to know to to just be a subject. That should be a relatively quick process to show you this is what the dog does. This is this is what this is what to expect when you're out there. Um, so so yeah, if, if you're wanting to help, you can do that. Um, during a real incident, I recommend just kind of staying out of the way unless the team requests something. Right? If if you get a request for you know kind of need pizza. Or, or sandwiches or something. Okay, that that's where it can get useful. But one of the one of the reasons why we don't have just regular hams helping us out most of the time is that with search and rescue, there's a very specific language that we speak, and so we really want people who know how to speak that same language as us. And so that's why we kind of so you know while there might be a lot of hams in the area. We really don't invite them to come and help us during a search because we need you to be able to speak this very specific language that we speak. Very good. 812-NET-HAM-1. 812-NET-HAM-1. We do have just a couple of minutes left if you have a question, or you can tweet us at HamTalkLive um, if you want to ask a question about uh, the canine search and rescue. So um, got just about a, a minute here. Um, so your, your training exercises, um, how long do those usually go? Well, I think the first thing to say is we usually practice two to three times a week. Um, or at least my team does. I, I, I don't really know what others are doing, but my team usually practices two to three times a week. Usually we're practicing from about six thirty in the evening till about nine o'clock. Um, so throughout the year, that gives us an array of basically right now it's sunny the whole time. Um, it'll be, you know, in the middle of winter, it's already blackout by <laughs> about five thirty. So, um, you know, the entire practice will be in the dark at that point. Um, but usually practice is somewhere between depending on, it, it really depends on the number of dogs and humans that show up. So we, we actually try and do, um, so we have practice for the dogs two to three times a week. We try and also do a practice for human stuff once a month, maybe once every other month, depending on how busy we are. And that's just to keep the human skills up to snuff as well. Now, our dog practices, 
basically rotate through dogs. We will we will hide a subject. We will hide some sources, which is what the HRD dogs alert on, and we will maybe lay a track or two for a tracking trailing dog. And we kind of go through, and we will we work basically one dog at a time because we don't have that many dogs. And so we go through and we try and give each dog basically two or three problems. And some of those problems are going to be 30 seconds where they're just, hey, this is what we're doing now. Remember, this is what we're doing for the dog. And then we'll do a long problem. For, so for, for Sasha, that's generally what we'll do. We'll do something really easy just to get her brain into the right mode. Very and good. Very that good. might be, Yeah, that might be something just like you know, it's a 50-foot problem with somebody hiding behind a rock. And then we'll do a long problem where, okay, now we're searching this 10-acre field, and they might not even be in this 10-acre field, so you have to, the Sandler has to actually call a blank and say, my dog has searched this, there's nobody here. We are out of time, but tune in next week. We're going to be talking about scouting. Um, So 7375, and may the good DX be yours.